The Voices of Search podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Bridge Toll, California, customer service number. Highway miles to the gallon, Ford Focus. Thailand Cave Rescue Operation. What is Schema F? Best wine bars in San Carlos, California. Best Western hotels. How old is Ronaldo? What happened with Big Brother? What's a good engagement? How long before a wedding should I send out save the dates? In the first series Use IMAP to check email on other email clients. Identify fonts from where to find the Welcome to the Voice. This is a search podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to talk about international SEO. Joining us is Lydia Infante, who is a senior international SEO lead at Rise at Seven, which is a search first creative agency for people and brands who believe that brand marketing and search should work together. And today, Lydia and I are going to talk about five non-technical factors that make a difference in your international SEO success. And this podcast is also sponsored by Hrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Ahrefs' new Webmaster Tools product quickly helps you improve your site's visibility by pointing solutions to over 100 technical issues that might be holding your search performance down. Plus, AWT monitors for backlinks so you'll know the most linked to pages and how those links are affecting your rankings. And AWT shares what keywords your website ranks for and compares how you stack up against competitors for key metrics like search volume, keyword difficulty, and traffic value. Look, monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. And now, thanks to Ahrefs, that's not the case anymore because AWT will help you monitor your SEO health, backlinks, and keywords for free. And no, it's not one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a powerful site audit tool that will keep working for you for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. All right, on with the show. Here's my conversation with Lydia Infante, Senior International SEO Lead at Rise at 7. Lydia, welcome to the Voices of Search podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So excited to have you on the show and thank you for staying up late. We had a little mix up with our time zones. (laughs) Apparently you thought that this podcast was going to be 1030 in the morning and you're in London. It's 1030 at night. Yes, it is. I appreciate you staying up late to join the podcast. (laughs) You're originally from Barcelona. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, I'm from Barcelona. So I have to ask you, rise at seven. To me, that would be rise at seven in the morning. But I know Barcelona has a later culture. Is that rise at seven at night and then go out or seven in the morning to start your work day? It's probably seven in the morning to start your workday as like the initial thought of the founders for the brand name. For me, it's more like I wake up at 8.55, but if this was a Barcelona-founded company, it would definitely be a, you've had a long siesta and you're waking up in the evening. You know, cultures are different everywhere around the globe. We've talked a little bit about SEO and internationalization over the last couple of weeks. And I wanted to ask you, as a non-US based SEO, a little bit about some of the differences of SEO in different countries. 
I think that SEO is sort of centered, the world of SEO is centered here in the United States, typical American perspective. You're obviously across the border. Where is the heartbeat and where is the the world centered when it comes to SEO from your perspective? Oh, if I have to give you my perspective, I think it's in the UK. I think the UK and the US have the advantage of technology being built English first. So we get to test all of the new features. We get to have the most advanced version of Google's natural language understanding. But I think the US has so much budget that you don't need to exercise your creativity as much as we do in the UK. So I think that's what makes the UK the center of the world when it comes to SEO. You know, I would agree on some level, the natural language processing and English obviously being an important factor. Hey, we have Google here in the United States, at least the headquarters. Google's an international company. But I would say that London and Europe in general is the heart of international SEO, simply because the languages are different, but the countries aren't that far apart. You know, in the United States, we have to travel long distances to even get somebody with a an accent that's different to, than ours. But most of the time we're traveling domestically. It's a large country, not the case in Europe. Lots of markets to consider with lots of different languages, lots of nuance. So this is kind of where your expertise lies in helping companies expand internationally. Talk to me about some of the factors that are driving successful companies to internationalize their business. So I would say, and this is something that basically every business leadership book will tell you, that it's culture, the thing that is unreplicable and that's going to make your company unique. I would say here is the understanding of culture and also creating a culture that includes the possibility of not knowing, being very accepting of everything that you don't know and being very aware that what you are 100% sure it's true within your data team, within your design team, within your UX team, is not necessarily going to be true outside of your country. Across the world, users have different levels of trust when online shopping. For me, that's one of the most clear signals of how you need to work things a little bit different when you're expanding internationally. For example, for a while, I don't know the right word to say this in English, but when you get something, you order for something and then you pay when it arrives. Payment on delivery. Yeah, so payment on delivery, the popularity of payment and delivery is a really good indicator of how much a country is mature and developed in the e-commerce world, how much the users are trusting the sellers. So that's one of the first things that I look at when I try to start, like when I... I'm helping a company expand into a different territory because it tells me if I need to focus on different pain points, trust pain points, do I have to offer different and alternative methods of payment and e-commerce? I'm just deviating now to user experience and CRO, but it does matter in SEO as well. We've got the thing that we mentioned earlier, Google's natural understanding of languages is one of the main differences in um, across markets. Because I feel like when I'm doing SEO in Spain, Italy, or Germany, I'm doing SEO in English, but like four years ago. I understand what you're talking about. (laughs) It seems like there's a couple different factors here, which is one, there is what is the language in the country. So you have to either do some sort of translation if you're moving your site, if you already have content. There's also the nuance of the language right? Across countries, one thing means something different in another country. I always use the example of the terms pants and knickers. 
They mean two different things in the United States that they would in the United Kingdom. One is something that you wear under your overgarments, and the other one is the opposite, something you wear under your, over your undergarment. Anyway, the two terms mean something drastically different. Or maybe they're the same, and I just don't speak fluent UK. I don't speak British. Oh, no, no, they're not the same. I keep saying pants to my British boyfriend, and he's like, what are you talking about? I don't know if he's going to get excited or not, but here, <laughs> pants are what you strap a belt around, not what you wear yeah. under long leggings. Yeah. I always get your them trousers. confused. Your trousers. Trousers, that's what I would call pants. Anyway, I always, whenever we have the international SEO conversation, we always get on this topic, and I always feel like I'm brushing <laughs> up against the line. So I'm going to go with trousers and undergarments from now on. But the point is that the same words have different meanings in different countries. And then there is actually dealing with how the customer behaviors are different. And that's what you were talking about with, you know, payments on installments or upon delivery. How do you tackle all of this and figure out if you're not a native to a country that you're internationalizing? And what's the process for making sure you get all that stuff right? Cause there's so much in there, like you don't realize the box that you've just opened. So I digress a little bit and talked about CRO, but essentially there's three main things that are going to affect the success of your international expansion. One is, again, Google's natural understanding that varies across languages. The other thing is ranking, right? You've, you've got a um, hundred slots and if you're better than a hundred or you're better than 99, you get number one. But that depends on what you do and what others do. So what your competitors are doing and the way that the SEO market is shaped in your target markets, it's absolutely so important. And the third one would be the user, which is what we've touched upon, right? How do they search? In my experience, I've found that less mature markets have more short-tail, high-volume queries that accumulate all of the volume in there. And then some users move on to longer tail. Others just like browse, browse, browse the results until they find what they're looking for. So the user journey is really different. Let me ask you a question. You mentioned a, an interesting point here, which is that the competition is different in countries as well. Help me understand where countries are more competitive or less. I'm assuming that Companies that have larger economies, which have more digital properties, end up being more competitive for SEO. So I'm assuming that the United States, the United Kingdom, Germany have incredibly robust economies, and therefore the SEO landscape is more competitive. And then when you go to what might be considered a third world country, less content, internationalized for that language, it's a little easier to rank. Am I thinking about it the right way? Is that true? You are sort of thinking about it the right way, but you... But you're sort of wrong. <laughs> but you're sort of wrong as well. Again, there's three things that we need to look at when we are ranking. This time, not internationally, just in general. We're looking at content, we're looking at technical, and we're looking at links. What I find in different markets, such as the Spanish market, Italian, French, and somewhat the German market, is the volume of links that your competitors have is pretty huge because... They're buying them. They're buying them in bulk. The culture of buying is there. And once you go and dive into why buying and selling links is so common in these countries that at the same time have really solid technical SEO professionals working on these sites. And the fact that the buying and selling of links is so common is because paid readership of digital media is really, really low. 
if you know where to search, you can find this in uh, different sources. You can try and figure out how likely it is that a country is buying links in bulk by the amount of, by the percentage of people who are paying for their online media. The moment that the online media has resources of their own coming from uh, their readers and not just their advertisers, they're not going to be selling as many links. So if the country is likely to be paying for media, it's more likely that the SEOs are going to need to buy links as well. No, I would never say that because like working for Rise at 7, we would never buy links. And I have earned links in all of these countries in bulk. It is doable. There's just no culture of doing it within the SEO market, which means that it is more likely. Now, I'm not saying that you or Rise at 7 would do it, but you're making the comparison that a mature media market where people are paying for journalism is more competitive. So there's more of a demand for link buying because it's harder to get them organically. I meant absolutely the opposite. I'm really sorry. Did I say it wrong? Okay, then I misunderstood. <laughs> then The less mature the media market is, the more likely it is that journalists are selling those things because they need to pay for their salaries. Okay, so when people are not paying for media, then there's link exchanges that are paid for. I understand now. Yeah. So a mature market, let's say the United States is a mature market, and we're thinking ESPN, the sports channel, Wall Street Journal, people are paying for those subscriptions. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you can't buy links to them. Exactly. Yes. There are always exceptions because of like some um, some journalists and some media offer more freedom to their writers and do a less thorough check of the links. Like you could get writers selling links through via third party and it's not really the media that's making that money. It does happen, but it is less likely. And it means that the links that you're going to be fighting your competitors for are going to be acquired through value and data-led and brand campaigns that are really, really adding something to the narrative, not just sponsored article. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our sponsor, Previsible. So you're looking for SEO help, and you got a couple of options. You could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on Google. You can pay an hourly rate for a consultant who will inevitably nickel and dime you with hourly charges. Or you can work with a cookie cutter agency to quickly launch a strategy-less project with low success rate. None of those sound very good, now do they? Well, that's where Previsible's integrated consulting model comes in. Previsible draws from a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to unlock your organic growth opportunities. They build custom solutions that combine strategy, technical expertise, content, and reporting to effectively operationalize SEO for your business. Previsible's four-stage approach ensures that your SEO programs thrive by starting off with a strategy-first approach. Then they support you in your efforts to create quality content, help you identify technical issues, and most importantly, they'll work with your cross-functional teams to integrate your SEO strategies to make sure that your SEO budget actually drives results, not just your agency's bottom line. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, Square, all who rely on the SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. Okay, so we got a couple different factors here that are non-technical factors that are influencing your SEO, who the customers are, how mature the media market is. What are some of the other 
factors that it, if impact your international SEO success? So something that irks me a lot <laughs> is that technology is built English first, right? So one of the main implications that this has, English is one of the languages with the highest information density in uh, writing. So with very few characters, you can say a lot and you can be very clever with it. And you've got brilliant copywriters in the English speaking market, but other languages have much longer words. So if you're trying to fit in the same things that you would say in a search snippet in English, in German, you're going to struggle. I've had the longest words. I think the longest word that I worked with in German for um, a title was 30 characters long. How do you deal with that? That's not a word. That's a paragraph. I agree. That's what I tell my German team. That's how is that a word? But yeah, that's, that's something that really changes the game. I think the longest word in the English dictionary is anti-disestablishmentarianism. I'm not sure how many characters it is. It's probably close to 30. But I feel like the point being... When you're writing in English, you can be more concise just in terms of character count, which impacts your design. And in German and some other languages, similarly, it's more challenging. The words are longer, so your pages end up being longer. That obviously is going to impact SEO as well. Yeah, exactly. And it also brings in the issue of special characters. So you've got special characters in Spanish, for example. We've got the ñ, which is an N with a squiggly thing on top that makes a weird sound. My last name has an Enya in it. And it means that in the eyes of the British government, I am Livia Infante Munoz instead of Munoz, which is my actual last name, because I can't put an Enya in any form anywhere. <laughs> so that's a really interesting thing. I used to have a website that had an Enya in the URL. It was an absolute pain because every platform would decode it differently. So we would have, for example, Facebook would show a bunch of X's instead of the Enya on WordPress, sometimes depending on the plugin that we were using for redirections, it would not recognize special characters. It was a bit of a pain. So there's a bunch of things that you need to sort out when you are expanding internationally, minding that technology is built English first. And that is recognizing that the markets that you're going to go to probably have special characters in them. So what you want to do is you absolutely need to allow those special characters in your forms for UX and respect for the territory in which you're entering, but also educate your entire team that URLs and file names need to have an amplification of those special characters, removing accent marks and using the English alternative that you've got handy, right? Google has given some information to the SEO community about how they treat special characters. And basically the anglified version and the special character are treated more or less the same. So yeah, in URLs and file names, make sure that your entire team, even the team that's local to the target market, that's not the English market, know to remove those special characters from file names and URLs. So when you're making your checklist and you're thinking about international SEO, you're getting your team prepared. Give me the high level buckets. You know, what are the things that you need to check off or at least the categories you need to consider to make sure that you're successful with your SEO internationalization? Yeah. So you need to educate your team into how Google's natural understanding of languages varies uh, in different languages. They need to know that different things are going to be ranking in different markets. And it does feel like doing SEO a few years back in some markets 
And there are ways that they can leverage that. So it's important to explore that together. You also need to look at what we said earlier. Technology is built English first. So you need to bring in your data team, your design team, your dev team, and your SEO team to discuss how you're going to treat special characters. Removing accent marks and anglifying special characters, absolutely allowing those special characters in your forms. This might cause incompatibilities with your CRM and other marketing platforms. So you probably need to involve someone from business as well. You need to talk to your PR team and your content team about how the press works differently in your target country. Something that we mentioned earlier about what's the media landscape like? How mature is it? What do the journalists like to talk about? Is there any taboo topic that you should never, ever, ever talk about? For example, something that works really well in the UK is talking about the royal family. If you were to do that in Spain, you would very quickly end up in jail. Um, so that's something that's worth commenting on uh, when you're building this PR team. With you can't you. talk about the royal family in Spain? You can, but the things that you would be able to say would be... Only if you're saying something nice. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The things that you're, you'd be able to say with data are not things that would not get you in trouble. <laughs> so, Okay, so the yeah. press landscape is something that you need to consider. Exactly, exactly. And, and the culture, like, are there any taboo topics? I'm working on an absolutely amazing, fantastic campaign for the Spanish market right now, where for some reason we are very into our supermarkets. Like there's some rivalry around what supermarkets are better. So we are going to be working on a data campaign for that. And that's something that only someone who's local to the market can know. Only someone who's experienced drunken conversations about whether they shop here or there is going to be able to take that in, right? And then you need to really create a process that you can trust, especially with the data team. The first few times that you work on a campaign with them, it's going to be, or reporting with them, it's going to be lots of hand-holding. But if you document your process step by step and you train your data team to work with actual data, being able to abstract themselves from the context, so the content that they understand in English, you're going to be building a killer data team that's going to be able to work across markets. You are not going to have to hire a data person for each market, which is going to improve the ROI of your entire, of your entire international efforts. You also really need to get to know your user right? This is something that we mentioned earlier. Digitalization has happened at a different pace in every country. And it really shows there are big differences in the user search journey, the level of trust when they're buying online. So you really need to do some market research and analyze the pain points of your audiences. Something that many companies get wrong, I believe, is trying to land in a market without really investing in it, right? So they're they're not going to hire someone native anywhere in their business. If you don't have anyone native within your business, I don't think you're really taking that market that seriously because you might have, you probably need someone in customer care or maybe you need an accountant, someone in the legal team. So for SEOs, there's always going to be someone within your organization. There might be in business, there might be in accounting, there might be in legal, there might be in customer care that's going to be native. And you can have a conversation with this person to help you develop your strategy. And that is absolutely key. At the end of the day, international SEO and internationalization of your content is an incredibly complex topic. There's a lot that needs to be considered. There's lots of nuance and there's lots of nuance between each individual market. So expanding internationally is something that is not something that you can do overnight. 
It's something that requires a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of efforts, and generally requires people that are in the local markets to execute or agencies like Rise at 7 to be able to help you with the process. So that wraps up this episode of the Voices of Search podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Lydia Infante, Senior International SEO Lead at Rise at 7. Join us again tomorrow when Lydia and I continue our conversation talking about some of the technical factors for SEO internationalization. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to get in touch with Lydia, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter. Her handle is Lydia Infante M. That's L-I-D-I-A-I-N-F-A-N-T-E, the letter M. Uh, or you can visit her personal website, which is Lydia-Infante.com or her company's website, which is Rise at 7, all spelled out, R-I-S-E-A-T-S-E-V-E-N.com. And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools, but that's not the case anymore thanks to Ahrefs because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, just head over to voicesofsearch.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also send us your topic suggestions or your SEO questions, and you can even apply to be a guest speaker on the Voices of Search podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is Voices of Search on Twitter, and my personal handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of SEO and content marketing, insights in your podcast feed. We're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, remember the answers are always in the data. 